This morning we continue in our series on the book of James and this conversation about, about uh, you might remember from last week, that James, James is a letter that is written um, not to convince people who Jesus is. James is a letter that is written to people who already believe who Jesus is. And it's a letter that's written to say, if you really believe this is who Jesus is, then this is how you're going to live. It's a letter that's written that says, you know, if you really are who you say you are, this is what you ought to do. Um, we talked about uh, that chapter 1 really sets the, the theme of the whole book. It says that we're called to be not just a people that hear the word, but we're called to be a people who do the word. This week on our, uh, on our order of service that Pastor Kobe puts together, came across my email, and uh, I looked at the sermon, and under the sermon it was listed, The Book of Frank. And I went to him and said, What is the book of Frank? He said, No one is more Frank than James. Um, and James pushes us a little bit because sometimes maybe we need to be pushed. And I don't know if all of the things of James, this one might be the one that pushes us the most. So I want to invite you to turn to James chapter 3, and would you stand for the reading of God's word this morning? We're going to read the first 12 verses. James chapter 3, verse 1. It says, Not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. We all stumble in many ways. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. When we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal or take ships as an example. Although they're so large, they're driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it it makes great boasts. Consider what a, a great forest Uh, is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth comes both praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. This is the word of God, and it's given for the people of God. And we respond together by saying, thanks be to God. You can be seated. Has anyone ever gotten in trouble with their tongue? You ever wish you could say something and the moment that you said it, you just wanted to begin to to bring it back? I confess to you that um, I knew the answer to that question before I asked it. Because you are like me, and we have known the shame of regret, of saying something or, or... or uh, saying a phrase, or talking when we, when we should have listened, or, or the word goes on and on, and, and we couldn't stop ourselves. Someone has said that the tongue weighs practically nothing, yet so few people can hold it. One of the quotable sayings that I love from Socrates is, it's better to remain silent and be thought a fool than to speak and remove all doubt. That's difficult for us. It's especially difficult for a preacher we are not accustomed 
to remaining silent. The power of the tongue was the central concern of James in today's text and what what that power does. Did you know that, that, that the tongue can lift 80 times its own weight? In fact, did you know that the tongue is the strongest muscle in the body? In our lesson today, and, and it's part of the whole book, but, but James has heard things that's going on. That's why James is writing this letter. He, he, he hears things that are going on, and he hears things taking place in the Jerusalem community, and, and he is troubled by it. He, he says the same people that are praising God on Sunday are cursing those in the fellowship on Monday. Verse 10 says, out of the same mouth comes praise and cursing, cursing men and women who've been made in the likeness of God. Now, now let me just clarify for a second. He's not talking about cussing, cuss words, okay? Now, don't use those either, right? That's, not, that's a whole other sermon. Those aren't good either. But what he's talking about here are words that tear down, words that certainly aren't even in the realm of respectful. The gift of speech that we have is one of the greatest faculties that God has given us. With our words, we can compliment someone. With our words, we can teach our children. With, with our words, we can give directions to someone that is lost. With our words, we can offer hope in the midst of a despairing situation. And we can express love or pain or struggle. But unfortunately, this wonderful gift that God has given us of the tongue can be abused. We can use it to gossip or slander or complain, or to be negative, or to express hatred or anger or disrespect. When, when we read aloud James' words, they create this reverberating reminder of how influential and how potential damaging that just one life, just one tongue can be to a community. And so James says that, he says, you know, maybe not all of us should be teachers. Maybe you need to understand that teachers will be judged more firmly. Teachers, he's talking about that, that talk about the, the kingdom and tell people about who God is. He says only those who, who will bridle their mouths and, and their tongues and voluntarily give control of the reins away from themselves and over to the master, those are the people who ought to be teacher. Teacher, however you define that title, are the voices that resonate and influence beyond themselves. I, I think in our culture, we have made, uh, we've dumbed that down a little bit. We've narrowed that thing of teacher and said, well, if I'm not a specific teacher, this passage probably doesn't apply to me. Each of us are always teaching. We are a people who are trying to influence someone, a group that is around us. I love that you've heard me say it before, what my friend Hal says. Who, he says, we're all making disciples. It's just what kind of disciples are we making? If we're to be a people who say, I'm a follower of Jesus, then by the very life we live, we are teaching what it means to those that are around us, what it means to be a follower of Jesus. So there are lots of folks that are watching that we're teaching. And so if I'm saying over and over again that we ought to go east, and yet my body keeps walking west, we have a problem. If I say to my kids, you need to use words that lift up, and yet what they hear from me are words that tear down, we have a problem. James is calling out hypocrisy. It's the power of the tongue. We all know how destructive the power of negative communication can be. We say that talk is cheap, but often we pay dearly for it. James says in verse 5 and 6, he says, Consider what a great forest is set on fire 
by a small spark. That the tongue is also fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole person, sets the whole course of his life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. The book of Frank. James is not messing around. You remember this theme of James, the overall arching theme of James, is that that it's not enough to just be a hearer of the word. In fact, it's not enough to just be a reader of the word. It's not even enough to just be a believer of the word, to say, amen, I believe that. That's good. Preach it. That's right. What James says is there's another step, that we're called to be a people that are doers of the word. And we may think that in the world in which we live, in the corner of, of life in which we reside, that what we say has little importance We may even believe that we have the right to vent our feelings, but the truth is the way we use our words impact our lives and the people around us probably in the greatest way that we impact, make any impact in life. Let me say that again. The the words that we use make a greater impact on ourselves and the people that are around us than probably any other thing that we do. And since this is so important, it is imperative that we learn to control our speech and to use it properly. Words have power. Is there any of us who haven't felt bombarded by the power over the last few weeks? Political ads assaulting our eardrums every day. Debates, debacles, declarations, deafening decibels. There is an increase in ugliness in the airwaves. Free speech is is one of the hallowed hallmarks of our political system. It is the basis upon which we uh, open debate, uh, rests and wrestles with. But speech that is purposefully hurtful or is purposely divisive or laced with the nasty or animosity is not free. It costs us greatly. Words that are woven together with just the intent to smear and spear and skewer, these are not words that build up the kingdom. They inject what James calls deadly poison into the world and the witness of God's love for all. And whether those words come from the red or blue, vicious verbal attacks leave our souls with a black eye and our communal bodies with a bruised heart. You see, James is saying you can't praise Jesus on Sunday and then use speech or write words on Monday that are vicious like you do. James calls us out. You know, every year prior to an election year of which we're in, all the major candidates virtuously declare that they abhor uh, negative campaigning and they won't be the first one that does any mudslinging, but just give it a little time and they all fall into that trap and it seems to get worse every year. And you know why they do it? Because it works. It works. People love to hear tongue-lashing tactics. People love to watch what takes place at the worst tirades when someone is torn down. You see, bad news sells big. And this week's James text challenges us. It messes around with us a little bit. That Christians, no matter what political leaning we are a part of, that kind of speech takes a toll on the body of Christ and upon our families and upon those that we are teaching who are watching us. A monstrous tongue sets fire to a spirit of love. 
And the spirit of love ought to be the hallmark of a Christ body community. Cheering on tongues that drip with deadly poison does not benefit any political agenda, neither red nor blue. Only our mission to be radically new proponents of God's kingdom is hurt when we participate in those things. But the power of the tongue cuts both ways. Christians should cultivate a reputation, a reputation for having a wagging tongue. Christians ought to be some of the greatest gossip hounds in their communities. And you say, what? See, I think the body of Christ ought to be telling tales all over town. But our tattling should be not of bad gossip, but of good. For when was the last time that you told on someone who who unexpectedly did something gracious towards you or towards somebody that's around you? What if instead of wailing at the rude driver who cut you off, we began to, 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 to lift up the young woman who held the door for the older patron? Or, or what if at the water cooler, the, the, the conversation that takes place, what if once in a while we threw in something about, hey, ha, have you seen Jim? Jim? Jim is always taking care of this place. He throws the coffee grounds away that you guys drink. Have you ever noticed that? He makes the coffee. He does all the things. How long has it been since we lifted somebody up in the midst of those conversations? Instead of wagging our finger at the soccer coach or the bus driver, what if we began to thank them for the service they give to their community? Instead of complaining about the weather, how about calling attention to the the beauty of God's creation in the world? Good gossip is what the body of Christ is called to pass on. We We are a community that is charged with the ushering in of the kingdom of God, not grousing and grumbling about the state of the world. Christians do not need to argue endlessly whether things were better five years ago or 50 years ago or whether the glass is half empty or half full. Christians need to be a people who are drinking from the fire hose, the fire hose of God's grace, the fire hose of God's word, the fire hose of God who is a living fountain, great gulps of water that renews us daily and sustains us no matter the circumstances we find ourselves in. Our tongues ought to be proclaiming good news of the gospel. And if our tongues are proclaiming something more than the good news of the gospel, or more often than the good news of the gospel, then James says, we got a problem. The gospel is the guidance of our life. The French author or painter, Emile Renoff, painted a a marvelous picture in 1881. It's called The Helping Hand there on your screen. I've always liked that painting. And um, in fact, I called my mom this week to say, did, did we have that painting hanging in our house when I was a kid? Because I seem to remember it as a young child. And it depicts a, a fisherman seated at the boat. You see him there with a little girl. The art scholars say that it is most likely his granddaughter. And both their hands are on the huge oar. I want you to look at the painting, for the old fisherman looks on the little girl fondly and lovingly, and and apparently he's just given her the news that she is going to assist in rowing the boat. Now, from her face, you can see that she is not a little overwhelmed by this whole task. She's the one that's got to navigate for them. She's the one that's that's holding on to this this whole oar, and you you can look at her face, how overwhelming that looks. But you can also look at the fisherman's face. And see those strong muscular arms and be reminded who is really propelling the boat through the waves. 
See, God grants us the favor of the oars, the grace of propelling this ship called the church on the high seas, the privilege of mission in a world where people are dying and drowning. But we must never forget who it is who really has the oars. We cannot perform this mission on our own. It is overwhelming. We cannot live into all of the things that we're called to live into on our own, but only through the God who works through us. And when we forget that, when we forget the source of power, that's when we start to faint. That's when we start to grow weary. We must remember that the voice we speak must echo the voice of the Christ who is at work in us. We must be on fire for God rather than our tongue setting fire of destruction. But we don't have to do it by ourselves. He calls us to a higher place. He calls us to a higher standard. But he is the God who is with us and who walks alongside of us and wants to be seen in us and how we live. If your tongue is set ablaze by hell, heaven help us. If your tongue is set on fire by the Holy Spirit, then the gates of hell will tremble. We can all practice the art of blessing others through our speech. We can continue to to communicate creatively and consistently in ways that heal wounds, in ways that, that help others encounter what it means to understand this loving Christ, to bridge gaps of broken relationships, to elevate Um, even the basic level of casual conversation. Consider the enormous power for good that is at your disposal when you respond to the guidance of the Holy Spirit through your speech. I want to say that again because that might be the best thing I say all day. I want you to consider the enormous power for good that is at your disposal when you respond through the Holy Spirit in your speech. On the evening of August 27th, 1963, Martin Luther King Jr. was pacing the floor of the Willard Hotel in Washington, D.C. For the next day, he would stand on the steps of the Lincoln Memorial and give a speech to 250,000 people. The occasion was the anniversary, the 100th anniversary, of Abraham Lincoln signing the Emancipation Proclamation. The dilemma for King was how would he stand in front of a quarter of a million people and encapsulate all that this meant, this 100th anniversary, and do it in the eight minutes he was given in the program. All throughout the night, King worked on his speech. He would write a draft and he would throw it away. He would write a draft and he would throw it away. And his friends came to him and said, why don't you just set that aside? Just stop writing. Why don't you just begin to pray and ask the Holy Spirit, what would you have me say? He didn't listen to his friends. He kept writing, and all night he's writing, and by morning the speech was complete, and it was typed out, and it was given out to the press, and he, he, he ascended to the platform, and there was this great expectation by the audience that was there, what would this noble orator have to say? And slowly and deliberately, King began to read carefully his prepared text that he had struggled with all through the night, but after a few short paragraphs, he suddenly realized that the words weren't adequate. And he set the speech aside. And he began to speak out of his heart. And he proclaimed that day, I have a dream. What may be considered King's most 
noted address did not come from a prepared manuscript, but from the soul of a man who was moved by the Spirit of God. And he used his words to send a message. Can I tell you that that same Spirit of God is available for you today and with practice, and it takes practice, and with discipline, and it takes discipline, that you and I could get to the place with the prophet Isaiah who said in Isaiah 50, the sovereign Lord has given me an instructed tongue to know the word that sustains the weary. I love that verse because I can't just tell you that I want to be that person. I want to be the person that, that, that people will say his, his tongue instructs the weary. I, I want to be the kind of person that speaks not with my words but but with the words of the Holy Spirit at work in me. And you know, I hear people say in conversation, they'll say, oh, oh, so-and-so. You know, they're tough to be around. They're always so negative. Every time you're with them, they're complaining about something. They're throwing a barb at something. And some of us are quiet, including me, because we're afraid that that might be what someone says about us. James says followers of Jesus aren't just to be hearers of the word. They should look different. They should be doers of the word. And work hard to change our speech to look more like Jesus. As we become more skilled at abandoning the negative speech patterns, we will discover that others will begin to look to us for encouragement and hope. That we're not the people that are avoided, but that we're the people that draw folks in Because the Apostle Paul says we are ambassadors for spurring one on another in love and good deeds. And if we are ambassadors, you might be the only vision of Jesus that people see. See, you are teachers. I am teacher. People are watching us by how we live and who we are. And they know Jesus and what it means to be a follower of Jesus by what we teach them. So that we get to the place in our life that when our name comes up, Somebody might say of us, I love being around them. I love being around them because they have a spirit that reflects the spirit of Jesus. Oh, that it might be said of each of us. I told you James was messing with us. He's at least messing with me. Because I want to be in the place with the words of my mouth that reflect the Jesus that I believe in. I want the praise that we come into a place like this and recognize the transformation of God in our life is not just available for the people who sit in these seats, but the transformation of God is available for the person that you work with tomorrow, to the person who lives down the street And how will they know who Jesus is unless we reflect him in all the aspects of our life? It doesn't mean we aren't a people who stand for things that are important. It doesn't mean we're a people that get walked on. It means we see the value of people the way God does. And if they'd been the only one 
still would have gone to the cross for them. Would you stand with me? Father, we thank you for these words that, that have come from James, the, the book of Frank, that mess with us and stretch us. And maybe there could be the possibility that it's just messing and stretching with me, but I, I don't think that's probably true. We're reminded that even those in the first century struggled in this area. This is nothing new. But we're reminded that you are the God who can walk alongside of us. You are the God who sits at the oar right along with us. You are the God who invites us to be a reflection of you, to be teachers of what it means, and to be accountable because of that. So, Lord, if you're messing with our heart today, then we, just, we, can, we can respond in two ways. We can not let you... Or we can let you. I want to look more like you. I want us to look more like you. I want the people who see us to see you. And to see the hope that we have. I don't want to just be a hearer of the word on Sunday morning. I want to be a doer of the word come Monday. So Father, we recognize we can't do that without your strength without your guidance, without your spirit. And I'm just confident this week, God, you're going to put that to the test for us. I'm confident you're going to give us a place along the way in which we get to choose what are we teaching by our words. I'm also confident that we'll probably mess it up at some point this week. But we want to keep coming back to you again and again. That as we practice and as we discipline ourselves, that more and more people would see the words of Jesus out of the actions and the words of our life. Our hope is in the God who has been for eternity and will be for eternity. Our hope is in a God who, who existed long before the circumstance of our world was created and will exist far beyond it. Our hope is in the God who invites us into this eternity with him. So let's practice well what it looks like to live in heaven today so that we might see little bits of your kingdom right here in this world. Your kingdom come. Your will be done right here on earth as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Lord bless you as you go.